Closer Look is a public affairs presentation. Views and opinions of the guests don't always reflect the views of the ministry, and some topics aren't suitable for children. K-Love is committed to community. Closer Look continues with a look at local agencies, events, and issues. Welcome to Closer Look. I'm Ed Linane here in Washington. In fact, at the Capitol Hill office of Congressman Michael Conaway, who represents Texas's 11th District The congressman serves on the House Armed Services Committee, the Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, the House Committee on Agriculture, which also includes participation in numerous agricultural subcommittees linked to that. Congressman, thank you for having us stop by and nice to visit with you today. Well, thanks for having me on your program. I appreciate that. Well, congratulations on your recent reelection. You're beginning, I think this is term number eight, right, for you in office? I'm uh, in the 15th year and uh, uh, it's a uh, it's a great work and I, uh, I love what I'm doing. You've got uh, about a decade and a half now under your belt. You, that's a, uh, you had phrased it that way. That, <laughs> that now seems like I've been here forever. That's but, uh, it. But I, I would imagine at this point you're feeling like, hey, I, I can figure out what's going on around here a little bit. Well, I'm pretty sure I know how to do the job, and, and uh, it's just a matter of uh, convincing you know, folks back home that I'm doing the job they want done, voting the way they want voting. And, uh, but I've been here long enough now that I've got this wonderful view of the Capitol when I sit at my desk. And so that's uh, it's one of the perks you get if you get to stay long enough. You get a, a terrific view of the Capitol. You do. You have a very nice view from this office. I like to ask this question from members of Congress that we interview. You know, let's go back to when you first came on board in terms of a perception. Anything stand out to you back then that you look back and you say, man, that's that's not what I thought being a member of Congress was going to be like. Or maybe you, you ran into, yeah, this is exactly what I thought. Well, no, I was a relatively uninformed consumer in that, in that sense because I had served on the school board in Midland, but that was my only other elected office. I had watched the Texas legislature through, uh, to, through uh, uh, three sessions uh, while I was serving on the State Board of Accountancy, so I kind of knew a sense of what, uh, how they worked and what, that, what went on. But uh, uh, no, when you get here, it's, uh, it's eye-opening unless you've had some direct experience. The one thing that I, back then I said, and I said it today, is that uh, uh, I'm having more fun than it's probably legal to have. And uh, that got quoted in the, in the newspaper and that kind of stuff. But, <laughs> but I really feel that way. I, I, I love this work. It's, uh, it's worthy. Um, the House of Representatives is a, is a worthy institution, you know, set up by our founding fathers as a part of our uh, representative republic. And service in the House is, uh, is, a, is a tremendous honor. Uh, and it's, a, it's an humbling experience. Um, but it's and it's important. We do important work. We touch the lives of, uh, you know, folks in Midland, folks in Texas, folks in the United States, and folks around the world are impacted by the decisions that we make here in Washington D.C. So your background in accounting, the military, explains your interest in serving on the committees that you work on. But what was it that spurred you on originally to want to run for office in the first place? And then now, as you begin your eighth term, do you feel like you maybe you've accomplished some of those early goals? Well, there's a, the, my life verse is uh, Luke twelve forty eight that says, uh, to whom much is given, much is required. Uh, God had blessed me with a little bit of talent and an awful lot of life experiences that I thought qualified me to do this job. And uh, there's, a, you know, there's a set of skills that you need to do the job, and there's a set of skills that you need to get the job, and they aren't the same. Well, I was way confident I had the skills to do the job. I just had to prove that I had the skill set to get the job and, and uh, you know, had, had run at it in 2003 got close, and then uh, the state redrew the lines and uh, for the 2004 election, and I was able to get the job at that point in time. So it's, uh, yeah, all those, you know, my CPA background, uh, being in business, uh, you know, signing the front side of paychecks, understanding the, the, the pressure of cash flow, and, and knowing that, uh, you know, 
everybody that comes to work expects to get paid. And I was one of the guys who know that we didn't have enough money in the bank to make that happen. I had to go find the money. And so those kind of experiences, uh, you know, are, are valuable in, uh, in uh, dealing with the uh, issues that we deal with here in Congress. You're listening to Closer Look. I'm Ed Lenane here in Washington talking today with Congressman Michael Conaway from Texas's 11th District. Let's take a look at the 11th itself. I think uh, like everything in Texas, it's going to be big, right? Absolutely. It encompasses 29 counties. You've got the oil-dominant Permian Basin. And while urban and suburban population is pretty large, it also contains a significant amount of rural population focused on agriculture. Does that mix present a challenge for you in terms of representing the people of the 11th? Well, even the three big towns, Midland, Odessa, and San Angelo, don't have the kind of urban uh, issues that you typically get to. Uh, and so it, it's, a, it's relatively homogeneous. Uh, the people in District 11 are just really the key. Uh, so topography and distances, those are all you know, manageable. It's the people that you represent that really challenge or, or whatever. And it's a really relatively homogeneous uh, mindset. They are uh, independent. They're hardworking. They, uh, you know, it's a faith-based uh, community. Most uh, in all 29 counties is very strong. And, uh, and as a result, it makes it uh, you know, relatively straightforward to, uh, to represent them. What would you say are the top things that people in your district would tell you, Congressman, this is really important to me? You know, it it varies. It it ebbs and flows uh, based on what's happening at the international, at the national level, that kind of thing. Uh, Immigration is a is a big deal and trying to get the, uh, you know, the uh, operational control of the border uh, and then the immigration reforms that need to get done. Uh, And then it, it, uh, you know, Things are really prosperous in District 11 right now, uh, and so folks are have a, a little bit uh, you know less uh, anxiety about what's happening in Washington D.C. when they're when things are doing well. Now that said, I've got a, an ag interests in uh, in District 11 that have uh, have been on hard times for a long time. We got the farm bill done last December, and it's going to be taking effect. Uh, over the next several months. And so our producers uh, see light at the end of the tunnel in terms of what the next five years will look like, uh, but they're anxious to get that, uh, uh, that, that bill implemented and, uh, and the new, uh, new programs put in place. You mentioned prosperity. I know there's a significant amount of oil production benefiting the country that comes out of the district. I didn't know how much until I saw this shared on your Facebook page. The Permian Basin is now producing 4 million barrels of oil a day it generates more oil than any of the 14 members of OPEC except Saudi Arabia and Iraq, which is amazing to me. Uh, it is. Our it nation, is. Yeah, the nation, however, seems to have this love-hate relationship with oil production, <laughs> right? We want to be less dependent, but at the same time, hey, environmental, you know, environmental impact. From your perspective, how do we balance all that, and where do we need to be heading towards to meet our future energy needs? Well, the balance is to, uh, to use the sources that we have today. Uh, to try to transition at some point in the next decades and maybe century or so to something else. But fossil fuels will, uh, will drive our economies, will drive our uh, systems across this world for a long time. Using them responsibly, understanding the impact they might have or not have on the, on the environment uh, is important. Uh, all of us want to breathe clean air. We all want to drink clean water. Uh, but at the same token, we have to exist uh, with whatever regulatory scheme is being put in place, whatever new ideas are happening, and whatever that transition to the John Galt you know, uh, energy system that, uh, that is of the future that some of my colleagues across the aisle think is, is around the corner. Uh, it's not. It's decades out, and we have to figure out how to, how to cope with that. Uh, not a lot of hate relationship with respect to oil and gas in, in West Texas. It's a love operation. That 4 million barrels a day is headed to uh, five or six. 
uh, over the next uh, several years if prices stay where they are. And so uh, the capacity issue is one of getting the oil to the coast to be shipped uh, overseas. So we need pipelines uh, done, and there are several of those in the works. And then the associated gas that's produced with the shale, uh, shale oil and or straight natural gas plays, that needs to find a home as well. And uh, so selling liquefied natural gas into Europe helps uh, uh, from a geopolitical standpoint lessen uh, uh, Putin's, uh, you know, boot on their neck of our colleagues and, uh, and allies in Europe. So it's, it's, uh, it's good all the way around. You uh, mentioned the Farm Bill before. I know you were instrumental in that. There's a lot of funding packed into it for things like rural development and conservation. You want to share some of the highlights of the act and why is that important? Well, the 2018 bill is, uh, is a terrific bill for rural America. Uh, it's uh, the, the really two pieces. One is the SNAP portion, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or food stamps. That's where the bulk of the, of the spending comes from. Uh, we improved the program integrity. We did not get some of the reforms uh, to SNAP that I believe were important for our nation. Uh, but then if you look at the other titles, uh, uh, the other uh, 10 or so titles, those are really good for rural America. It, it establishes a certainty of what the safety net looks like over the next uh, five years. That's big for producers and bankers and, and creditors out there to know what, what those safety nets look, will look like. Uh, it approved uh, crop insurance, which is kind of the key cornerstone of most of the uh, safety net at this stage. Uh, but Title I, conservation title, uh, rural development, all are much better. Uh, we focus uh, you know, some of the rural development on broadband uh, deployment. One of the things we did there was to require the FCC, which has rural broadband programs, as well as USDA, which has rural broadband programs, to not build on top of each other, to deconflict so that we're not uh, duplicating effort where, uh, you know, where we're spending scarce resources. We have to pay attention to the opioid crisis that's occurring in rural America with some uh, resets on, uh, on things there. But uh, uh, the, the bill is, uh, is a good bill, and I'm proud of it. It was a you know, labor of love, and, and we got it done uh, first time that a farm bill had been introduced, passed both houses, signed by the president in the same calendar year since uh, 1990. And so we're proud of uh, of getting it done. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about your work on the House Armed Services Committee. From your perspective as senior member of that committee, what, what are some of the biggest challenges now facing the nation's armed forces? What's being done to help overcome? The biggest challenge is uh, funding it year in and year out. We, we do an annual uh, budgeting process that really doesn't fit uh, these, uh, you know, buying uh, aircraft carriers and, and large production, you know, large purchases, submarines, those kinds of things. So trying to, to figure out annual budgeting and make that happen. 19, 2019 was the first year that we've got the authorization bill, the spending bill, the probes bill done before October 1st in a couple of decades. And that has an impact on the way the Department of Defense spends its money. The next step would be uh, making sure that our guys have, and men and women have, the right tools, the right training, uh, the right equipment, the right health care, all those kind of things that go into it. Uh, a startling issue came up in a, in a hearing with uh, uh, the uh, uh, secretary, uh, acting secretary of, the, uh, of defense and, uh, and the, the ch- uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. The Army fell short of its recruiting goals in 2019, excuse me, 2018, by, uh, by over 10,000, almost 10,000 people. Uh, part of the problem is a booming economy. So they're competing uh, with, uh, you know, uh, men and women who have uh, opportunities in the, in the economy as well. But they're also competing in a shrinking pool of men and women who are physically and mentally qualified or capable of serving in our militaries, and, and that number is getting smaller. And that's, a, uh, that's nothing that the Department of Defense can fix, 
but it is a matter of us, um, you know, not having the right kind of PE classes and the right kind of uh, emphasis on physical education. And, and we've also got a drug problem going on this rampant. And all those things that are happening is causing uh, the pool of men and women that are that would be eligible to serve to shrink. And that is a long-term systemic issue that we have to come to grips with. Related item, uh, your focus on helping our veterans, you yourself uh, are one. Lots of challenges for military families. Well, we have. Um, you know, being at war since uh, 2001 uh, has, uh, has obviously been a big strain, not only the men and women we asked to do uh, the hard uh, tasks of uh, defending our nation, but on their families. Um, the, the impact of being gone, you know, months at a time, coming back for months at a time. You know, one of the things, unless you've been through that, when a, when a spouse leaves, the remaining spouse and family reset the order of how things get done at the home. And so the spouse is gone, whether it's a man or a woman, let's assume it's the man, he's gone for, uh, you know, a, a year to 11 months, comes back. Well, mom has reset how things get done. And so he wants to step back in and be the dad. Well, you know, we've, we've got a whole new dynamic working here without you, dad. And so, you know, that, that, that creates a stress. It's, it, they fix it. But nevertheless, it's a, it's a stress. And you know, the, the miss birthdays, they miss anniversaries, all those kind of good things. Uh, has an impact on the families themselves. So I, I try to, you know, I thank the men and women who do the work, but I really thank their families, try to thank them more because I think uh, they sacrifice more. If you think about you've got a, uh, a spouse that's in harm's way that's, that's deployed in Afghanistan or, or Iraq, you don't know what's happening second to second. Now, they do. Downrange, they know whether things are scary or not, and many times it's not. Sometimes it is. But back home, as far as they're concerned, every second of every day, their loved one is in harm's way. They're about to get that call. They're about to get that car drive up out front that's got the worst news that they will ever get. And so that's, that strain uh, on the family, on the, on the spouse that's home, takes a toll as well. And that's a huge toll that, uh, that's, that's there because of the of just not knowing day in and day out what's uh, what's going on with their loved ones. So I, I brag on those military families. It's been hard on some. Some have not been able to 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 make it. But uh, you know we've got a we've got a terrific uh, group of men and women that have to defend our nation uh, and their families who allow them to do it. You are listening to Closer Look. I'm Ed Lenane here in Washington. We're talking today with Congressman Michael Conaway from Texas's 11th district. You've been here for a little bit what's a good day? I'm sure you've had a lot of good days here. You've probably had a few not-so-good days here. But describe a really good day for you where you leave yeah. the office and you go, wow, this that sounds, This sounds flippant, Ed, but every day this side of the dirt's a really good day. And so, I, you know, we get to do some really terrific things. You know, you look back. You said earlier in the conversation, I've been here 14 years and I'm my 15th. On the one hand, it sounds like I, it feels like I just got here. But then I begin to think back of all the things I've been able to do and experience and participate in uh, over that time frame. So, wow, you know, I have been here quite a while in making this happen. But, you know, there, there are uh, frustrations associated with, with the work done up here. Um, but you've got to manage expectations. It takes 218 votes in the House, and one of those needs to be the Speaker. It takes 60 in the Senate and a president to sign something. So getting a, a bill, the Farm Bill passed, is a heavy lift, and, and you've got to manage those expectations. The real satisfaction that I get is the stuff that happens back home. I've got in place back home a terrific team of, uh, of men and women who work every day to try to make constituents' lives a little better. 
uh, the stories I get from, and I get credit for these stories, but I didn't do the work. But, you know, somebody comes in with a problem with the IRS or the or their Social Security is messed up or they're being mistreated by, by the VA or whatever, my team can go to work on their behalf and make their lives just a little less difficult, a little better. Uh, quick story, my mom was uh, shopping at a, at a department store in Odessa, and she gave the clerk her credit card, and he looked at it and he goes, Oh, you're Gene Conaway. Do you know Mike Conaway? She said, well, that's my older son. Well, he launched into about a 10-minute explanation of how he had been at his wits end with the IRS. They were threatening to do all kinds of stuff. He had had lawyers and all that stuff. He's just, he got so frustrated, so at the end of his rope that he called his congressman. And three days later, the issue was resolved. And he was so ecstatic. Now, there are people behind my mom in line wanting to check out. But he's telling her this story, and she's not going to shut him up because that's my mom. She enjoys hearing good stuff about me. <laughs> but that story warms my heart because this guy, my my team did that. I didn't know that. I didn't know what happened. I didn't. I didn't do it. But my team did it on his in his behalf. And so there are hundreds of circumstances like that, over and over and over, where uh, you know people in the district have been helped, lives a little bit better. The times I get to call uh, kids who have applied to our academy, who so have actually gotten the appointment. Uh, and they're going to be, you know, that's a four-year scholarship, and they're going to get a world-class education. I get to call them and say, hey, congratulations, that appointment has come through, and you're going to get, if you want to, you're going to get to go to West Point or Naval Academy or Air Force Academy or Coast Guard or Merchant Marine. You know, those are just some really great stuff that go on. So I know you've had some time to figure this out, but talk to me about your balance of life back in Texas and then what you got to do here in Washington, your relationships, family, church, or how do you keep all that balance like that? I'll go home as, as often as I can, typically every week. I'll leave Thursday, and uh, uh, then I'll come back on Sunday. Um, it's, it's worked. Um, it's been a huge strain on, on Suzanne, my wife. Uh, actually, I'm her husband is a better way to phrase that. And, uh, you know, she's put up with an awful lot to allow me to do this. A lot of nights, quick, uh, quick snap. In 18, the first six months of 2018, I'm working the farm bill. I'm traveling. I'm doing all kinds of stuff trying to get that deal done. And she came to me in July. She said, um, did you know that there are 181 days between January 1 and June, June, and June 30th? And I said, yep, it pretty much happens every time. She said, well, in 2018, of those 180 days, you and I spent 49 nights together. <laughs> I knew this was coming. Yeah. And I went, what? She said, yes. And I had I had allowed my zeal to get the job done to miss 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 set my deal. So I can't let that happen again. Anyway, fourteen years of this, she's been just a saint in making this happen. The one thing that that has the one sacrifice I would I would say I've made in addition to whatever sacrifice she's made is I've missed fourteen years of my grandchildren's lives. Um, and I can't get that back because they're only going to be 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 once. Now, as adults, I'll be able to try to reestablish a, a relationship with them, but I've not been the granddad that I would have liked to have been had I had, had more, uh, more time to, uh, to, to spend with that. So it has come at a cost. Uh, it's a pretty high price, uh, and uh, I hope that— uh, You hope it's whew, worth it. I hope that, yeah, that um, I'll look back and say it was worth it. As we mentioned earlier, your recent re-election means you're now kicking off your eighth term in Congress. So no matter what the future holds, whenever your time in Congress comes to an end, what's the one thing you hope your constituents will remember you by? Um, that, um, that I was accessible, that I kept coming home, uh, talking to them, that 
that I made myself available to them. Uh, you know, if somebody's mad, then they need a they need an outlet. They need to be able to look me in the eye and and uh, you know tell me they got to burn their saddle, whatever it is that's going on. So I've done uh, literally hundreds of town halls and and and. Uh, Rotary Club speeches and Lion Club speeches, all those kind of things in an effort to make sure that I was accessible, that that if I'm going to be the representative, that I need to hear from them what their particular position is, how they want to be represented, that I was uh, fair, uh, that I, I was a good decision maker, that uh, one of the things I tell them is that there will be times where you disagree with the way I vote. What I owe them is an explanation of how I got to my conclusion. And it should never be, well, the Republicans wanted me to do it or leadership wanted me to do it. I should have a thoughtful, uh, fact-based, as, as best I can, explanation of how I got to my vote. Not with the idea that I convinced them I'm right, but just convinced that I'm thoughtful uh, and that I work hard at uh, coming to those right decisions. So, you know, some combination of all of that. I hope that, that they look at it and say, you know, they did a good job. Congressman Michael Conaway, who represents Texas's 11th District. Congressman, thanks for letting us stop by and visit. Well, I appreciate you guys stopping by. Thanks. This has been Love Closer Look. Find us online at klove.com.